Welcome to Holy Conundrums Podcast. I'm on today with uh, Kelsey Skoke, who's my guest. Who Do you have a ministry name? I should ask you that. KelseySkoke.com? KelseySkoke.com. Yes, that's where people can learn more about things or reach out to me for sure. Yeah. If I sound a little frazzled, it's because everything that could go wrong went wrong before we started recording, which is just like, I feel like it's just spiritual warfare because of the nature. Like anytime you talk about sex or pornography or chastity or anything of that nature, if it's going to be fruitful, there's an enormous amount of spiritual warfare behind it because I feel like it's one of the devil's great tools. It just means it's going to be that great of a podcast episode. Yes, exactly. So Kelsey, let me just real quick introduce you. So we met five or six years ago at a conference that we were both speaking at in Denver and we were both keynoting and I had just come out with my first book, which was on chastity and gave my testimony and witness. And you came up and you introduced yourself at, at my table by saying, and I quote, so you like to talk about porn, huh? And, <laughs> and at that point in time, you were engaged to John Mark. And now it's like five or six years later and you have like four kids. So uh, how's life treating you? <laughs> Uh, how yeah, old is your oldest? Real quick. She's four and a half. My oldest is four and a half. We've been married okay. five years, almost five and a half years. She's four and a half. I have a three-year-old, a 15-month-old, and a two-month-old. Holy cow. Yeah. So you have, is there been a month where you have not been pregnant? You know, a couple, in, <laughs> you know, here and there, a couple times it's happened. It's, <laughs> um, the joke is like, I, there's not been really a time where I haven't been pregnant or postpartum, kind of that one year postpartum recovery, yeah. which is crazy because usually the comment is, oh, you must have really easy pregnancies. And then I laugh because that is not the case. <laughs> no, it's been good. It's been a huge blessing. Of course, within that has been the COVID situation of just shutdowns and, and life being on pause. And I think the Lord has really given me that time to learn motherhood to a better degree. I think it just, you know, if anyone's listening to this and they're in that state of life or maybe about to be in that state of life, it's a different beast that I think you can see from the outside looking in. And so truly learning how to embrace some of the crosses that come with that and embrace family life in the way that I feel called is, has been really good, honestly, really healing and really important for me. So no, overall things are going really well and four kiddos and life and a move in there, right? I lived in Denver. And now you're in Overland Park, I believe. Overland Park, Kansas. Yep. Right outside of Kansas what City. What is your parish? So we go between St. Michael the Archangel and the Ascension Parish. Okay. My parents live in Overland Park, and I believe they go to Holy Spirit. Oh, yeah. Is that mm-hmm. a parish? Okay. I should at yeah. some point introduce you to my parents because it might be <laughs> I some love like, that. there might be some free childcare in there for you. So <laughs> I <laughs> won't say no to that. No, yeah. it's crazy. So I like, I lead a Bible study through Ascension, and then also there's a Holy Trinity kind of Bible study for moms that I do. I mean, people ask what parish, and I like list off six or seven because there's so many in this close area. And when you have so many kids, it's a lot of times it's based on what mass time you can physically get to without meltdowns or nap time interruptions. So yeah, if you're a listener and you're not, I feel like people hear the Kansas and they're like, oh, that sounds like a really dead place. It's like, no, Kansas is a pretty happening place in particular around Kansas City, Overland Park area. And Catholicism there is, is really vibrant. Yes. Yeah. When I've had a chance to travel out there, it's been impressive, the ministry and the parishes that they have out in Kansas. Yeah. I mean, it really is. There's so much going on. It's really, you have to pick and choose what you have time for to do. So it's yeah. great. 
Yeah. So all of this to say, so the, the theme of the podcast is we talk about church problems and then sensible solutions. And you and I have bonded over the subject matter of porn addiction, and we both have a passion in serving there. How did you first get engaged in, because I guess I should back up. I'm still learning this podcast hosting thing, but you and I have connected over people with pornography addictions. And at least for me, five or six years ago, I had a blind spot when it came to pornography addiction with women, which is a huge, huge problem. But it's something that you kind of fell into in terms of serving because there was a need and you saw the need and just out of a a calling stepped up into that need to try to serve and minister to it. Can you tell us a little bit about your your story of how you got involved in, in serving in this area? Definitely. Yeah, I, I don't think I started off going, I just would love to talk about porn all the time. So about, gosh, 10 years ago, when I became a focus missionary um, with the Apostolate of Focus, I started ministering to women on college campuses. And with my own background, needing sexual healing and struggling with pornography and masturbation, I kind of came into a missionary life, you know, feeling like I was totally healed in that regard. But a lot of that healing I had to do on my own. There weren't resources available for women. And so I really had to kind of pave the path, if you will, on my own. But when I started getting into ministry myself and starting helping other college women and then even my peers as missionaries, I started to recognize some of the similar flags that I was probably, you know, giving off when I was in the midst of my heavy addiction. And I started to start asking questions and and looking into it and realized you know, the lie that I believed was that I was alone in this struggle. This is something that I personally struggled with, but no other woman was really struggling with it because no one was talking about it. No woman was t- like mentioning it or was it there, because there weren't resources, you just would assume if there aren't resources, then there obviously isn't a need. And so obviously a wrong assumption. So as I started digging deeper into this and talking to the women in my Bible studies and talking to my friends who are missionaries alongside me, I realized I was not alone and far from it that Many, many women, I would say, you know, at the time, about 80% of my Bible study participants had either, you know, viewed pornography or had struggled with masturbation in their past or currently, right? It's much easier to maybe mention a struggle of your past than it is to say, oh, this is something I currently do. So that's really how it got started. I started realizing the need and I was talking with our training program, our formation for missionaries, our summer formation, and asking, can we have a female version of this training. There was a male version at the time, but can we have a female specific talk and and training? And of course there was no speaker really, even in the church to bring in for that. So they asked, well, Kelsey, could you give the talk? And so that, you know, that was what, seven years ago, I put together, I I did a little bit of research, read a few books and, and gave a talk mostly from my own experience and my own testimony of how I, you know, this was part of my story and how I have started to go on the road of recovery and how I still struggled, but this is what I was doing. And thus began really the journey of helping fellow missionaries and teaching them how to help their students and coming up with really steps of how women can receive the healing they deserve in this area. And so, like you said, it fell in my lap. It was, it was one of those things. And the biggest piece of all of this was because it's an uncomfortable topic and there's a lot of sensitivity with it. And because in the church, no one is talking to women about this. It is a little bit embarrassing to come out as a woman and say, Hey, I've had a porn addiction or, Hey, I struggle with masturbation and use those words and, and, and proclaim it. And the Lord has just given me a confidence that Kelsey, there is a need here. There are women who are hearts are broken because of, of our culture and what is happening. And I honestly, rather than shying away or feeling ashamed, 
I have such a joy and energy to talk about this topic because it is so necessary to do so. So it has been a joy in the past seven years to kind of launch this ministry more fully and really help women in this area. I think, I mean, I know when you and I were talking and it was like 2015, 2016 when we met. And at that point in time, everything that I knew of in terms of porn resources and, and support, everything was phrased as a guy problem. In fact, the cliche at like a high school conference would be that when they had a guy's session, it would be to talk about porn. And when they had a girl's session, it was to talk about modesty. And I mean, I couldn't roll my eyes now more looking back on that and think like, such a stereotype. But now in the year 2022, like once you are vulnerable and people actually start to talk about things, like now I feel like it's it's actually, I'm hearing it talked about quite a bit among young women with this issue and it's becoming mainstream, but it's like, what have you seen now in the year 2022 since you've been able to be vulnerable and started talking about this and now it's become a bit more mainstream? What perhaps has surprised you and what has been the fruit of your ministry to young women? Yeah, it's a great question. There's definitely been a snowball effect, right? Once you bring the topic to the light, I mean, it's amazing what's exposed. I think the first talk where I was given a full breakout session at a, at a large conference, the Focus Seek conference, I had a room that could hold over a thousand women and it was basically, they had to close the doors. There were so many women in this room for my talk. And so the next year they had to actually double the size of the room just to make sure the capacity was there for women. And so it definitely has caught fire. And from there, I do a lot of ministry through Instagram and the onslaught of, you know, messages and questions and, you know, women who really are seeking this advice and information has snowballed as well. There's another women's ministry called Magnify that has launched just in the past year. And I'm on the board for that now to help help them with their resources and, and get them launched and up and running so that there can be more online small groups for women to have more accountability and, and, and formation and just different resources are popping up. And it's so beautiful to see just how that's happened and the receptivity that's gone along with that. At the same time, it's interesting too, because right as all of this is happening in the positive to help, help women recover from these addictions and do that too. COVID was just a slap in the face when it came to how many more people began an addiction or increased their addiction because of the isolation, because of how much time at home and availability was just to have access to these struggles. One of the number one causes of a sexual addiction is loneliness. And you have basically a two-year period where the majority of the world was shut down and loneliness skyrocketed. And so, of course, you would see sexual addictions skyrocket as well. And you're seeing it in the media. You're seeing, specifically for women, a lot more shows that have women engaging in these activities as completely normal. So the, the activity is becoming a lot more normalized, more mainstream. So you have culture on one side proclaiming this is good. Women, sexual exploration, good for us, you know, way to go women. We're finally empowering ourselves. We don't need a guy to, to do that for us. We can do it for ourselves. And so it's just really been interesting is while I see an increase of, of resources to a degree on, on the church side and, and ministries, finally speaking to women about this. I mean, really the culture has even gone faster and, and stronger in their pushing of this agenda and making it even more accessible more welcoming, more whatever it is on their side. And so it's, it's almost like not enough. We're, we've done so much more in the past few years that I've ever seen, but so has the culture. And so it's just wild how, how much has happened in the past few years that we've known each other. 
it doesn't surprise me that porn is being crafted or, or presented as something that's empowering. I mean, that certainly was like the message of Hugh Hefner back in the Playboy days when when it was at its high point, was that, you know, Hugh was a celebrated person and look what he, but you know, all you have to do is read a little bit about his background and see, oh no, the guy was a huge womanizer and misogynist, etc. It doesn't surprise me that porn is being presented with women as this is empowering, but, and this is something you and I have talked about, but you know, the vast majority of pornography is violent by nature. Like all you would have to do is watch some of it, which is not what I recommend to, to anybody listening, but it is degrading to all of the participants involved. I know I was talking to a, a kid, his first exposure to understanding and learning about sex was being exposed to pornography. And I had to say to him, I was like, just so you know, like what you saw is not sex. Like, I mean, I know there's the physical act of it, but there's nothing beautiful about it. There's nothing uh, loving about it. There's nothing realistic about it. I mean, he just had a totally warped understanding of what sex is based on what his first exposure to it was as a child. There's a question in there somewhere, but... No, no, and I'll, I'll speak from that, and maybe that'll answer the, the, <laughs> the big question. But with that... The amount of women who've been exposed to pornography or if the men are exposed and then they get married, this is the bigger question too. When you're trying to strive for holiness and you're trying to live a life of virtue and you get married and sex is now on the table, but people don't actually know what sex is, but because they've seen pornography, they assume they have all the knowledge there because they've literally watched it on a screen. And I work a lot of times now with women who are in marriages and they're like, okay, Kelsey, you'll talk about awkward things. Let's talk about this. Now that I'm married, I, I don't know what's going on or really how to have sex properly. Or, and, you know, to be honest, most people would say they think they still do, but there's a lot of, you know, holy Catholic people in marriages who really don't know what's going on and are using pornography as the understanding that they're coming into this with. And women struggle then in marriage, in their sexual life because of this background. And as you mentioned, violence being one of those things. I work with single and married women alike who, because of their pornography addiction, they now have trained their brain to be attracted or even turned on through violence. This can happen if you're watching pornography and it's triggering your, the pleasure centers in your brain and you're releasing the oxytocin, you're releasing the dopamine, but you're watching a violent act. Honestly, you're programming your brain to desire that because that is a way that we program our brains to release those chemicals in similar situations. And so then women need, honestly, the violence to get the same pleasure that they were experiencing from pornography and it's completely distorted and it takes it takes time but there is hope there is a way to remove those stimulus and, and, and receive the healing necessary to have a healthy sexual relationship so there is a plus side but I mean when you're in the thick of it and you don't really realize how pornography is affecting you and how it's it is destroying either your current marriage or sexual life or your future one and it's very harmful for men and women I think there's a phrase that I learned from you that has been really helpful just in my own ministry of if I ever talk to people around this issue of, of pornography. I learned the phrase, this is something that happened to you. 
from you because you talk about pornography from the the standpoint of its addiction it causes all kinds of problems in your relationship and your your understanding of what a healthy sexual relationship looks like what love is i mean it causes all kinds of problems but the, the reality is the average age that a person is first exposed to pornography is somewhere between the ages of 8 and 11 depending on the study because it's really helpful anytime you're talking to a spouse who's to someone whose spouse suffers from this issue. And I say suffer from because it's an addiction. Yeah, and an addiction is a disease. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and I remind them, I'm like, hey, just so you know, this is something that happened to your spouse. Like, they were exposed at a young age to something that they didn't know what to do with. They got addicted to it and then subsequently have been struggling with it ever since. Like, say a little bit more, like if you're a listener right now and you struggle with the shame of pornography or you have a, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, a spouse, a significant other that struggles with it, like what advice would you give to them related to how do you actually deal with the shame of it? Mm-hmm. No, of course. There is so much shame. And specifically when I talk to women in this area, because it has been so swept under the rug or hidden in the darkness. I mean, the shame is astronomical for women. And that's really where you need to start within the healing because there's such a fear of sharing this with anyone, far be it from like a confessor or even a friend for accountability, but even with Jesus Christ in prayer, like women just, they can't imagine anyone knowing that this is something that they do or, or struggle with. And so when I talk to women about, you know, have you told Jesus in prayer or really have you asked what I think is the pivotal question to start the healing journey and ask Jesus Christ, where were you? If you're someone listening to this and you were exposed to pornography or or have an addiction, I want you to think about the the first time that you were exposed, the first time you encountered something. Maybe maybe it was sexual assault or, or abuse as a kid. Maybe it was a significant other showing this to you on a screen or or even a parent at home. It just was found in your home somehow or heck, it could have just been an innocent internet search um, and it popped up. But when was the first time you were exposed? And then asking Jesus the question, Jesus, where were you? When that happened, where were you? And when I walk women through this, they often, you know, they'll think, okay, Jesus wasn't even in the room. He had no idea what was happening. You know, kind of like fingers in the ears, la, 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 la. Like he doesn't want to hear that. He doesn't want to know that because that is, in a women's mind, that is so impure, dirty, disgusting. Like I can't imagine you know, God or Jesus would look at me with anything but disgust because of this. And so they don't even want to think of him in the room in that situation. But then I have to share with him, okay, remember that situation. Remember that first encounter. Jesus was there. Jesus was in that room. He was right there next to you. And he was screaming on the top of his lungs, sobbing, angry that this was happening to you. Because, you know, as an eight-year-old, as a 10-year-old, heck, as a 15-year-old with an innocent search on your computer, you did not look for this. You were not searching for this. I have not met one person who says, you know, at 10 years old, I was like, I would really like to look at some sexual content and then get on Google. No, this is something that our culture, our world is putting out there, is putting in our commercials and putting in our TV shows and our movies and our books and our music. And it's happening to us all around us. And it is such an addictive experience that it it makes sense that we would then start searching it out and looking for it. And this is something that's happened to you. And Jesus in those moments, that first exposure is screaming on the top of his lungs. He is so angry that the world did this to you, that they put you in this position to have this exposure to, you know, start that shift in your brain of what, what our understanding of sexuality is. This was not his plan for you. And he is heartbroken that this happened. And often, you know, as I just share that with them, 
women, you know, will start crying and they, it just, it opens up so much more to realize that what the world is doing is happening, like you said, to you. And it doesn't mean that you're, you're free from any type of culpability moving forward. I mean, we still need to be held responsible for our actions and, and what we continue to do in our lives. And especially when you are seeking healing and, and maybe you're hearing this podcast, it doesn't mean, okay, because this happened to you, then you're good to go. You can just keep doing your behavior as you will, because that's not what we're saying either. We're saying the initial exposure happened to you. The addiction and how our brains work, you know, was a little bit out of our control. But now that just means we need to work a little bit harder to put the steps in action, to remove those temptations, to remove those extra things in our life that can hopefully free us from those addictions that happen to us. You know, yeah, it doesn't free us from the responsibility of of getting healing and moving away from those addictions. But for those, especially with those with a spouse or a significant other who might be struggling with this, to realize that initial exposure and beginning of that addiction was not their fault. That I think does definitely help with the shame and with the, the understanding of how this all came to be. Yeah, I always say to, if I talk to guys with the issue, I, I rem, try to remind them, hey, this is not your fault, but it is now your responsibility. Yes. And it, it's there's an enormous sin in there in terms of trying to run away from that responsibility. I had another question for you, but you brought up something that I think is really important. You and I have never talked about the parent component of this, but you're a parent now. I'm a parent. I've got teenagers now. And one of the things I've learned with my own teenagers is that it is impossible to protect them from it. Have you ever had a parent come to you and say, hey, what can I do to protect my kids from it? Because I'm learning with my Catholic friends who are raising teenagers now, now that I'm at that age as a parent, that it is taking the approach of trying to shield your kids from the world and protect their innocence is really not effective, that I'm actually doing them a disservice. What kind of advice would you give to a parent who's maybe raising little ones and saying, here's how you prepare your child for what's out there on the internet? Mm-hmm, definitely. I'm actually giving a talk here in a couple of weeks at a parish to parents of kindergarten through sixth graders about protecting your children in this area because it is such a necessary conversation. And initially we were in the conversation of talking to the teen parents, which will happen as well. But I was like, we actually need to go a little earlier. (laughs) You know, we need to, we need to go as early as possible to really create that prevention. And I'd say at the basic level, what everyone talks about, which I still support is first and foremost, there needs to be accountability software on all devices that have access to the internet. There needs to be a level of accountability with everyone regarding that. But there's no internet software filter on Netflix. I mean, you can have parent controls on streaming services, but to be honest, I, so something I do as a good practice is I like to watch kind of one to three episodes of the top 10 shows on Netflix. I like to stay up to date with what our young people are consuming and not even young people, what our current culture is consuming on a regular basis. And that is a really a great way because of so many people who use that platform to see what are people interested in and watching right now. And you would be shocked at the TV 14 rated programs that have pornography within the first three episodes. I mean, I guess you ever would not be shocked, but the, the average consumer would be floored. I mean, I'm watching shows of moms using vibrators, of girls having sex in high school, and you're seeing sex. Yes, they're fully clothed. So I guess you could argue it's not quote unquote pornography, but actually if you look at the catechism's definition of pornography, it is pornography. You're watching someone else's sexual experience and intimacy for your own entertainment. And that's the definition from the catechism. I will say that 
a strategy that I have used with my kids that has actually been really effective is that we don't run away from the programming. For example, there are we're big Marvel fans in our house, and there's a handful of things here and there. For the most part, Marvel's pretty clean, but there's there's a handful of things here and there. We'll watch with our kids. We'll fast forward through those scenes or skip those scenes, and then we'll talk to them about here's what we skipped and why we skipped it. And like those opportunities of things that come up, don't run away from those opportunities and simply say, hey, we're skipping this and we're going to pretend like it's not there. No, we admit it's there, and and we want to talk about why it's there and why we're skipping it. And uh, Wholeheartedly. Yeah. And I love that approach because I think what you shared, what was most important of what you just said there was, I'm watching it with my children. And I think the biggest things that parents unfortunately are not doing is they allow their children to just watch by themselves. And I know as a parent, we do not have the time to screen every single thing, to read every book, to watch every show, every movie, whatever, either before or even during when they're doing it. But I do think it's important for us just to be aware if there is a program that our child is watching have you as a parent watched one to three episodes to know what is the basic premise? What is the type of stuff going on in that program? Because there's a lot of things going on that I don't think parents are aware our children are being exposed to with programming. And that is honestly one of the main ways is they're getting a gateway access to these things. But the, overall, whether it's you know protection from the outside world coming in, what really impacts our children is how we talk about sexuality in the home. So as a parent, how we are bringing up sex to our children, and it needs to be early, right? When we talk about our bodies, I think every parent talks to their children about, hey, it's not appropriate to go to the grocery store naked because every child wants to run around naked. There's a conversation there. So why can't we start there of protecting our bodies and why our bodies are such a sacred thing and that there are parts of our bodies that are meant to be used in different ways. And, and we talk about this, you know, when we talk about potty talk or things like that. And so it can start very young, but to, like you said, not run away from it, not run away from the topic of sex, not stop talking about what our bodies are meant for and the great gift that sex is. Talk about sex as a good thing in the home. I think the more that we can talk about sex in a positive way and share the reality of how, how amazing this gift is that the Lord has provided marriage and provided family life and, and what this is for, the more the way the world presents sex just becomes ridiculous. You watch how the world presents sex and you're like, well, that's nothing compared to what my parents talk about or like what I've learned is really the truth of sexuality. And it allows kind of this false version of sex versus the reality of sex for a young person to start seeing those differences and start putting those things in order so that when they are exposed, because it's not an if, when they are exposed to pornography, they see it for the cheap version that it is. And they're able to then bring it up to you. And because you've talked about sex a lot in the home, when it happens, they know that they can bring it up to you. They're not embarrassed to say, hey, I saw something and, and it was kind of different from what we've talked about. And you can have the conversation because it's already something you bring up in the home. And so it can be more of a lifestyle that you do. And that's really the conversation I have with, with parents is making it a part of the conversation in the home. Yeah, I think it's also really important to emphasize that the talk around sex is not a talk. It is an ongoing conversation. Yes. You know, you shouldn't be having a talk with them when they're 13, and I guarantee they already know everything at 13, and saying, okay, now I've explained everything to you, and I'm done. Like, that's not what a healthy 
parent-child relationship looks like around the topic of sexuality. Uh, we're coming up on, on time because I know you got a hard stop because you got kiddos to take care of. But I do want to say real quick that if you're listening and you're wondering, okay, what resources are great for filters? My wife and I, we use a website called protectyoungeyes.com. It's not a filter. It gives a list of everything that is out there in terms of it keeps up to date with all the different apps, all the different things that teens are using, and gives suggestions on how you can filter things and what you should just keep out of the hands of your kids altogether. So that's a, one I'm really a fan of. In terms of monitoring content on the television, Common Sense Media is, is one that we use quite a bit as well. So I wanted for listeners to give you a couple resources that I'm a, a fan of for children. Kelsey, where can people talk to you, find you, learn more about your ministry? Where are you speaking next? Plug your stuff. <laughs> Great. So if people want to get in touch with me, KelseySkoke.com or um, Instagram, KelseySkoke. That's S-K-O-C-H when <laughs> spelling. So KelseySkoke. And there's resources you have. There's the link to purchase a book that Everett and I both uh, co-wrote together, Uncompromising Purity. It's not just a guy problem. You can get that book also at Chastity.com or um, I believe it's on Amazon. It was sold out last I checked, but it should be re replenished on Amazon. So you can reach out to me there. Speaking events now that I have a two month old have just begun again. So I have a talk here in a couple weeks locally in Kansas City. I think I'm going to be in Canada in the next month or two and Louisiana. So definitely different talks going on. But just if you keep up with my Instagram, that's usually where I post up and coming talks and things that I have going on. And I know I'll be at the seat conference giving the specific purity talk for women in St. Louis here in January. So that's probably the bigger, like large event that you can definitely check out if you're interested in hearing your talk from me. So that's how you can stay in touch. Cool. Thanks, Kelsey. Thanks for being on with us. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me.